0: I'm going to have you open your Bible uh, to two places, I think. Colossians chapter 2, just find that, stick something there. That'll be where we're at most of the night. But then also turn to the 119th Psalm and verse 33. So Colossians chapter 2, just find it. We'll be right there. Stick something there. And then open your Bible to the 119th Psalm, beginning in verse 33. And when you find your place, if you'd stand with me, And when we're standing, I'll know we're ready to move on. Psalms 119, beginning in verse 33, the Bible says this. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and i shall keep it unto the end give me understanding and i shall keep thy law yea i shall observe it with my whole heart make me to go in the path of thy commandments for therein do i delight incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken me in the way in thy way establish thy Word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. I have a word of prayer with you tonight, and we're only going to spend a moment here and go forward. But it is essential that we establish sometimes. Uh, unchanging truths which we then seek to expound and illustrate so they become more than distant truths but living realities in our life. Father, I thank you for our time. I pray that uh, you would bless it. I thank you for the wonderful service we've had so far, the great singing and, uh, Lord, uh, the opportunity to give and uh, just to watch the children give, Lord, and be involved I thank you for all you've done. I thank you that you've met with us so far. Everything we've done today in this place, you've been in the midst of it. And you promised you would be, Lord. I just pray tonight we'd, we'd surrender to your presence. It's not a matter of if you'll show up here. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst of them. We are gathered tonight in the name of your dear son. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are those who believe every word of this book. And uh, Lord, uh, it is you we seek after tonight. And so I just pray tonight, Lord, you'd find us humble as we would receive instruction from you. And that as we do, Lord, we'd be willing to humbly measure our life by the truth that you give us. And Lord, where we would find ourselves having fallen short, that before we leave this place tonight, we would come, we would come, Humbly, we would come in brokenness to you, ask for your forgiveness, and allow you to transform us more into the image of your dear Son. Thank you again for this time. I pray you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing tonight. In the first couple of verses of this section of 119th Psalm, There's a truth established that I want you to get. I want you to write it down, get it where it will never fall out of your brain. For some of us, that's a great problem. We'll have to actually write it down to be able to remember it. But uh, this is the truth. that The system of thinking that you use, develop, determines the path of your life. So the way you think and what informs your thinking determines the path of your life, where you walk. This morning we talked about how, uh, you know, we get to choose our path. And we can try to walk on two paths for a while and make it look okay. And ultimately, one of them will become the norm of our life. Tragically in Solomon's case, and too often tragically in our own. But please understand this, that we don't make choices really about uh, paths in our life. I mean, that's a fairly significant thing, how you're going to live your life and how you're going to engage things and, and uh, you know, everything just really that makes up life. I, I don't really think that that's something that's so light. And I think that, that, we, uh, that we don't just make that by going, uh, you know, I think I'll flip a coin and see, do I want to walk with God or not walk with God? I think that we go through a process of consideration and of learning by which we then make a choice. And when we change the path of of our life, and every one of us has to make changes in the path of our life, beginning at our salvation, you're not okay. You weren't okay when you were born. You were cute, and then you weren't cute anymore. I'll just help you out with that. You went from ooh to ah. He's no, ooh. But, But he says this, look. Teach me, verse 33, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. And he makes it clear there that if he were to have the knowledge of what it is, teach me the way, that's how I walk, of thy statutes. Lord, I need you to inform me of how I'm supposed to walk. And if you do, then I'll keep it unto the end. Verse 34, give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. There it is again. Understanding is taking knowledge and putting it to practice in your life. Understanding and wisdom are greatly related, if not completely related. So knowing something and then having the understanding to be able to begin to operate according to that truth is an important part of this process of determining the path of our life. And so he says, listen, if you teach me so I know, I would, I will keep it until the end. If you give me understanding, I'll keep your law. I shall observe it. In other words, I'll be very careful. That's what observe means. Observe it, it doesn't mean to go like, yeah, yeah that's it, that's cool. Observe means that that I'm being very careful about each step or really each decision along the way so that they are according to the precepts of the word of God. That's what observing means. It means to make sure that I don't not step in the right place or that I don't step in the wrong place on my path. That I'm going to be observant about my path. That I'm going to be, uh, that I'm going to be uh, alert about it. And I'm going to be deliberate about the steps that I take. Give me understanding, he says. And I'll keep your law, yea? Not just keep it, yea? I'll observe it with my whole heart. Because the way you think determines the path of your life. Simple. Now, let, let me take just a second and talk to you about why that's true, and then we'll look at how to live it. You were absolutely created by God to operate according to knowledge. Absolutely created that way. You were created in the image of of God. Now, I know that the text says image and likeness of God. The thing we have to understand is that image, we're going to talk about likeness, was the unfallen holiness or of the same nature. When sin came in, our nature twisted. We were no longer the same, so much so that God had to separate us in adam from uh, from the garden that he'd created for mankind, and that there's now a veil or a distance a, a gap between man and God that man could not overcome that he couldn't just uh, decide he didn't like it, find a way around it. It was impossible, but the image of God never changed that 's that part where what he is, not in nature but in being or personhood. We are, okay? So God isn't one thing and we're something else. It is true of most of creation that they're not made in the image of God, right? So I'll give you a couple of opinions. Elephants are cool, they are. I mean, think about it. Really, except a guy with an elephant gun, who can stop an elephant? I just hold it right there, big fella. You're not allowed here. <laughs> Elephants are cool. They're kind of slow. Maybe they ponder a bit. They have larger noses than I'd be comfortable with. But, but they're cool. But they're not in the image of God. They're not. They were not made to be a reflection of or a carbon copy, if you will, in personhood of God. Okay, this one I know you'll agree with. Dogs are at the top of my list of favorite animals. How about that? You know. I mean, really, unless it's your neighbor's dog and he's been poorly trained, dogs almost always are like... Which means, I really like you. Give me something to eat. Okay, that's what that means. You think it means I love you. They don't love you. They love what you give them. But dogs are still okay. That You can teach them to fetch. You can teach them to bite the preacher when he comes to visit. It happens. But dogs were not made in the image of God. It's going to do it. Cats are horrendous. What's wrong with cats? I mean, they rub up against your leg, and they go, whatever that means. I think it means, if I were bigger than you, I would eat your head. I think that's what that means, but they're not, so we're okay. I, I don't know. But some of you like cats, and some of you, in fact, some of you girls, I watch at a camp all the time, uh, if you just say the word cat, half of the teenage girls in the congregation go like, ah. So they obviously have some sort of draw for you. I haven't figured it out. But they're not made in the image of God. So you understand that you could go through the entire scope of creation. You could look at every awesome, amazing, scary, powerful thing. And one thing would be true of all of them. They are not made in the image of God. But mankind is. And that image really is what he speaks about here. And that is that when he says this, he said, listen, verse 34, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law and I shall observe it with my whole heart. I want you to know tonight that I know you've been taught a lot of things. And if you're taught something different than this, I'm sorry. Just uh, go ahead and, I mean, follow your leadership. But let me explain that to you. The heart is not just your seat of emotions. The heart is the inner man. You know, people struggle with what makes up the soul. I'm not going to try to have a debate with you about it tonight. I don't care to and and all that. But I'm going to tell you what makes up who you are. And that is your your mind or your intellect, your will, and then your emotions. And that is personhood. See, we, we weren't really created physically in the image of God. Say, Peter, how do you know that? I was taught that in Sunday school. I know you were, and I'm glad you were. So was I. But here's one thing I know. If we were made physically in the image of God, he's got a lot of different faces. But here's what's more important. The Bible teaches us that God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God didn't have physical shape until he took on the likeness of man so that he could redeem us. We were not made body, soul, and spirit in the image of God. We were made mind, or intellect, will, and emotion in the image of God. And that's how we know for sure that we were created, that this truth is this truth. Because he says this, if you would teach me, intellect, and if you'd help me have understanding, then I would observe it, will, and you and I were created in the image of God so that we could learn with our mind. It's really incredible, at least once you hit uh, past the stage of 16. I mean, you have the greatest mind uh, available. It's amazing what the human mind can do. It can be damaged and recover. It can keep you alive when you're unconscious. Unconscious. Your mind does that. Your mind uh, tells your uh, organs how to work, and, uh, and all of those things. Hey, listen, I, I, uh, I marvel when you read these or sing these songs. We, I think we sometimes think the psalm, psalm writer or song writers or uh, songwriters that they were just uh, people who like really had a warm fuzzy feeling in their heart and they wrote a verse like this: "My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought." I'm telling you, the guy wasn't sitting there on his couch going, "Whoo, I feel good." What he was was he was a theological thinker according to the truth of the word of. God it wasn't just emotion it was knowledge that was affecting his will and his emotion that was coming out of him when he pinned those words so get this we are made to operate so that with our mind we would learn so that with our will we would choose in obedience to the truth of God and we would then experience an emotion that I believe Jesus Christ calls life abundant joy unspeakable and full of glory Peace that passeth all understanding. Those things which can't be obtained emotionally any way except through the the, uh, whisper of God to our spirit that we are walking in perfect harmony with him. So, the way you think determines the path of your life. Everybody got that? Now go over to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Some years ago, I put together a series of messages on something called worldview. And for some of you, just now when I said that, your eyes rolled back in your head and you were like, oh, brother. Um, but all worldview is, is the window, if you will, or lens through which we see the world. You and I see the same things physically every day but we see them in different ways all of the time. And that, pardon me, that really is made up by our worldview. And the worldview that a person holds is the result of their convictions and beliefs in about 10 areas, about 10 disciplines. Things like theology and, and biology, believe it or not. Do you understand that, that biology, of course, is addressed in scripture, right? When you go to biology class, The first uh, biological textbook was um, the Bible in the book of Genesis where he there declares and commands that everything would reproduce after its kind, just biology, the science of life. And one of those disciplines that make up a person's worldview is philosophy. Philosophy a lot of times as independent Baptists, we hear the word philosophy and, and you know, we, we feel a holy hallelujah, uh, you know, just uh, raising up in the back of our throat. And, we're, and we say this, philosophy, that's what them liberals do. But could I just say to you tonight that whether you would acknowledge it as such or not, you are living according to some system of thought. And that's precisely what a philosophy is. The philosophy of Calvinism, and that's what Calvinism is, is a philosophy about soteriology or salvation greatly. It's just a system of thought, man-made, I would add, in great error, I would add, by which people try to navigate through things. So every one of us has a philosophy and it's not philosophy that's the problem, really. It's where your philosophy or system of thinking by which you live comes from. Verse eight of Colossians chapter two says this. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, Christ For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath, things which are of a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Paul here writes to a group of believers in a church that are that are undergo, undergoing great pressure uh, to change the way that they would live. they're being, they're being told that what they think is wrong. And that there's a better way, whether it would be to return to Judaism or whether it would be one of the other multiple philosophies of the day. They're being told that and have pressure put on them that their thinking concerning Christ is wrong. And the whole chapter really says that. He said in verse... Uh, verse number uh, one, I would have you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and as many have seen me in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, uh, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ. And verse four says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, these people that lived in the town of Colossae that were believers, they had, uh, let's say, people coming at them. And what they were trying to do is lead them off of the way of following Jesus Christ to some other way by uh, enticing words. And as we read in verse 8, philosophies and vain deceits. And so Paul writes this letter, of course, under inspiration. And by the time you get to verse 8, he's kind of worked up a little bit. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because he uses language that we never use in church. We usually read that verse and go, beware, lest any man spoil you. Is there any other place in your life where you use the word beware like that? Your children run out in the street and there's a truck coming down the road and you go, hey kids, uh, beware. Anybody do that? There's probably something wrong with you if you do. That's not what the word beware is. Oh, look at those school children on the school bus and oh, look how the train is coming and the light thing's not working. Beware, children, beware. Danger, danger. That is not it. And that is not what it is here. If you and I I were to read this properly, I think it would sound something like this. Beware! Isn't that how you use the word? I mean, can I just say this? If it's not normally how you use the word, if you see me about to die, would you please use it that way once? (laughs) No, I only tell you that because if God takes in the midst of this and saying to them, now there are people that are trying to lead you astray, there are people who are trying to affect the way you think about Christ, and there are people who are trying to put you in bondage to philosophies that lead to death, And when God says this, beware, I'm just thinking for a minute that he really wants to get your attention, stop you in your tracks so that he can warn you and keep you from the danger that lies ahead. If you were in the army and you saw people in danger, you'd say, gas, gas, gas. That's the signal for a a chemical attack. And the directions are to immediately stop breathing and stand still while you put your uh, mask on. It means stop, watch out, that's beware. And listen to what he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Before we get to the philosophy part, I want to note, you to notice this word also, beware lest any man spoil you. So that's not like what you're doing to your children exactly, It's somewhat like it. This is what spoil means. It's a military term. It's what the victor does to the defeated army. What they do is they go in and take from them that which belongs to them that they purchased at a price. And when they are defeated on the battlefield, the victors walk in and go, like that iPad. And they spoil them. And what God says to this, you listen to me tonight. What God says is you're in such peril because of what's going on in your mind. And what's coming at your mind. Beware. Because there is an enemy who desires to defeat you and spoil you. To rob you of that which is yours as an inheritance through Jesus Christ. He wants to take away peace. He wants to take away joy. He wants to take away assurance of your salvation. He wants to take away your confidence and belief in the very God of this word. He wants to undermine everything about you so that you'll doubt Jesus and serve him. He wants to spoil you. And that's the warning. And I would even say, and it's editorial to a degree, but whole masses of Christianity in America in 2022 are absolutely spoiled by an enemy who has bound them in a philosophy that is destructive. Beware. Beware. Would you do yourself a favor and take your pencil or pen or whatever and circle those two words Underline them. Highlight them. Beware lest any man spoil you. Because you are setting squarely in the crosshairs of intellectual, philosophical deceit and spoiling every day you live on this earth. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Those are two different things. Philosophy is one thing. vain deceit is another thing. Philosophy, I want to talk about in a moment. I want to start with vain deceit. So I don't think this is hard for any of us, but deceit means untruth, doesn't it, right? Like if I told you, hey, I have a million dollars in my hand. If you, you know, will sing the national anthem in Chinese right now, I'll give it to you. And then he does it. Do you know Chinese? Absolutely so, ah, so, okay. And then I don't have a million dollars. It's just deceit, right? That will make it easier. I have a million dollars here if you'll say Ford rule and Chevy drools. That's fine, I'll keep the cash. Of course, I don't have a million dollars in my hand because I don't have a million dollars anywhere. And if I did, I wouldn't give it to you. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I would if you needed it. Vain deceit is when you're deceived with things that have no substance. They're not true, but they're also substanceless. And you're constantly being attacked in your life, Christian, with vain deceits. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Here's one. If you've paid attention, you've heard it. Christians are blind followers. They're unreasonable, and they're just robots following some mythical god blindly going along. Vain deceit. They have no reason. They don't know how to even think. Vain deceit. Well, how do you know it's a vain deceit? Because it has no substance. Because, and we talked about some of this at camp, but because in the Bible, we're called to be reasonable, to reason. Isaiah chapter one, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. No one here should be saved because they just have a feeling in their heart that they need it. They should recognize and they should acknowledge with their mind that they are a sinner before God. And that their sins are separating them from God. And it's not just God being a bully and it's not the way they were raised and it's not uh, where they came from. It's this, that they're a sinner. And that sin separates them from God. But he says this, come now, let us reason together. In fact, it's interesting to me that God calls us to sit down really with him and to consider before him the truth of our sinners or of ourself as sinners. And he says, though your sins be as scarlet when you reason together, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, uh, they shall be as wool. God is a reasonable God. He's an intellectual God. I don't mean reasonable like you negotiate with him. I mean reasonable like he says, if you would think about this, please hear me, if you would think about it for one second, if you would just take truth and reason on it with God for one second, you would be right now out of your seat running to an altar if you're here lost saying, could someone in this place help me get saved? Because there is no reason at all to think, well, I I don't even know if that God thinks right. Christians are not blind followers if they are following the word of God. They're only blind followers if they're following a vain deceit or tradition of men and calling it God's. I mean, they're told this, we're told this. Peter would write, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man who asketh the reason. Why are you a Christian? Oh, I'll tell you why. I have a reason for being saved. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. And he offered me to have my sin gone and to have eternal life in his place. And you know what I did? I knew me and I learned of him and he's a hundred percent right. And I accepted his offer freely by faith. Christians are not blind followers of anything if they're followers of the Bible. Well, why do they say it? Because they're trying to spoil you. They're trying to rob from you the confidence and assurance of who you are in Christ Jesus. And so he says, beware. Beware. Because there are all kinds of these vain deceits that are coming at, at us in our day. Things like this. Science and the Bible are incompatible. I like that. I really do. It's really um, dumb. Science and the Bible are incompatible. Would you understand this? If you would take time to study a little bit about where science came from, could I tell you how the scientific method, just simply how it developed... The mankind recognized that there was a creator and therefore he created things. And what he created when they came from the mind of a creator were repetitive. They could be done over and over again. And you could literally find a way to find out what God is doing. Science. Now, I know that's simplified, but it was based upon uh, the creation, the creator God in his creation and being able to, uh, to predict or to figure out things because of who God is. Science doesn't erase God. Science is not incompatible with God. True science, science that's not science falsely so-called. True science really flows out of God, that it is because of God, and that it can only be science because we have an unchanging God. And therefore, we can have unchanging understanding about things. Science and the Bible are incompatible. Well, that's only true if you're trying to convince people that the world is flat. I know, we're in Missouri. There's at least one of you here probably, but... Well, I mean, you know, greater, the larger here. But the Bible does say that the, that the earth is a sphere. And God sets upon it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just this, that there's an enemy that wants you to have no confidence in your Bible and no confidence in your God And to believe what he says is science. So he says to you, "Ah, the Bible and science, they have nothing to do with each other. They're completely incompatible. But now let me give you some science. The earth is melting. It has a fever. Hang on, I'll be back after I buy more oceanfront property. (laughs) Okay, all right, you didn't like that one. My father is getting ready to deliver a child. Huh? What did he just say? Well, science today says that men can bear children. Well, I, I bore all three of my children. I was like, what? I mean, that's about as far as it goes. No. No. Do you understand that science doesn't say that? It's vain deceit. The idea that you need to decide between the truth of God and his word and some scientific theorem is not true. It is a vain deceit intended to steal from you what Christ has given you. Can I give you another one? I enjoy this. You might not. Um, there are no absolute truths. All truth is contextual. So let, let me tell you why we're doing this. Because if you let your kids watch cartoons, they're getting all of this. And in much of everything. There, there's no absolute truth. You know, truth is all about context, right? You know what that means. When I'm with, when I'm with him... We can have a conversation. And what we're talking about here, well, that's truth. I agree with it. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're a wonderfully wise man. Then I come over here to this sinner, and he's talking exactly the opposite. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. That's exactly the truth. No matter what it says, that's exactly right. And then I go over here to this uh, guy, and, uh, and, and we have a conversation, same subject, conversation. Oh, yeah, and he says something different than both of them. I go like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's just Contextual. The setting that I'm in, the, uh, the people that I'm around, they determine what truth is. And the, the result of that is, is that there is no truth. Which means there's nothing that you can really go like, this will be this way. No truth. It's vain deceit, that's all I want you to know. There is truth, right? Sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. Hey, listen, you want to challenge truth? Just go back and study it for a while. That would help you a whole bunch. But study for this, okay? Uh, Study to find out which prophecies should have been done by now and aren't. You know what you'll find out? That the Word of God is true. Without any mix of error. It's not mythical It's not theoretical. It's not been twisted by man. It's been preserved by God. It is absolute truth. But the world says to you all of the time, oh, you Bible people. I just had this discussion. You believe that whole Bible, don't you? Mm. Yes, sir, I do. Yes, sir, I do. You say, preacher, these things are theoretical. Well, not that one. I've told this story before, but I was in the Army for 22 years, and toward the end of my career, they started, There's some things that had gone on, social justice was beginning to infiltrate, and so we started having to have these meetings once a quarter, they divided us up into groups, they weren't, they were, I don't know what you call them, they were I call it. Well, I can tell you what I call them. I call them touchy feely sessions. And so there would be not a leader but a moderator, right? And there'd be a bunch of people sitting around, and you'd leave all your rank at the door. This never happens. Come on, please. And then the moderator would bring up a topic of discussion. One, the last one that I was ever invited to. <laughs> Weird. Uh, the moderator brought up the subject of homosexuality and and uh, relationships of homosexual people and that. And the way that they would run is they'd go around the table and they'd say, so, so Bill, what do you think about it? And people would give their opinion and everybody'd go, ah, well I was on the other end of the table, you know, just one of them tables like we eat at. I just tell you this, those white folding tables are made for Baptists to eat at, not people to give their opinion about. But. Just going to say it. The moderator is on that end, and I was on this end, and I worked in a command that was mostly civilians, and there were a couple of snake eaters in there, uh, me and another guy, and the lady that was the moderator, Mm -hmm. uh, her name was Ruth, and she worked in the office that I worked in. She was a real nice lady, but she's moderating this, and they're going around the table and I'm, I'm I'm praying in my mind as they're talking like lord please don't please don't let me please let me say what you say not what I feel right now cuz and she comes to me and she said Rodney what do you feel about this and I said I tried just to be very I said Ruth I don't, really don't have a feeling about it I just know that this is absolute wrong before God. And She sat back in her chair and she said, Rodney, just because it's wrong for you doesn't mean it's wrong for everyone else here. It's on now. No, it's all right. <laughs> so I stood up. I pushed my chair back. And I, and I like the lady, still do. I mean, we were friends even after this. But I pushed my chair back, I leaned as far over the table as I could, and I slammed my hands on it, and I yelled, this is what I said, Ruth, I'm going to kill you. And Ruth went, just like you did. She went, "Ah, ah, ah, ah," and everyone at the table went, what did he say? (laughs) And she finally caught her breath, and she said to me, Rodney. You can't say that. And I said, well, it was right for me at the moment. (laughs) Vain deceit. But vain deceit might sound funny in this room, but it is pernicious in your life. It's destroying the way you think. Yeah. And when it destroys the way you think, it destroys the way you walk with God. Yeah. Yeah. Beware. Beware. Did you hear me? Watch out. Educate your mind. Read, study, meditate and memorize your Bible. Defend yourself. Prepare yourself to be able to recognize those empty lies that come at you. Yes, from Satan, but they come through people. They come through circumstances. They come through good people. But all of them are intended to take absolute truth and to rip it out of your, uh, of your mind and to replace it with empty lies. Amen. And the way you think determines the way you live. Beware, lest any man spoil you, take away what Christ gave you. I know this is kind of fun and funny sometimes, but this stuff just tears me up on the inside. To think that we would have this book and our God and be so unprepared to think in this world that we can't even recognize empty lies. What a... It ought to just tear us apart from the inside out. He also says this. Through philosophy and vain deceit. Philosophy, as I said, is just a systematic way of thinking. So it's not about the fact that there is thinking. I know that you probably... We learn philosophy is the love of knowledge. Yeah, I know people say that, but that's pretty dumb. I mean, nobody lives their life by going, love knowledge, love knowledge, love knowledge. Philosophy is when people sit down and try to determine what really makes life worth living. So they come up with systems of thinking Uh, You know, they're mentioned in scripture. I just preached, you're going to think this is weird. I just preached at junior camp uh, out of the book of Acts where it talks about two groups of people and Paul on Mars Hill who ends up debating the philosophers of the day or speaking to them. And there are two groups called Epicureans and Stoics. You know what those are? Those are philosophical systems. That's all they are. They weren't religions. They were just ways that people thought, and they were leading them into all kinds of craziness. No, the Bible is full of identifying for us philosophical ways of thinking or systematic ways of thinking that will lead you into danger because here's the criteria in verse 8. Look at it. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and date vain deceit. Listen to this. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. See, you and I are called upon or really led in Scripture to have a philosophical uh, philosophy of living. Can I help you out with what it is? We think according to the philosophy of the Word of God. The Word of God is systematic, absolute truth. There's nothing in it that's error. And it teaches us all sorts of things how we're to live our life. It teaches us how to engage people that want to fight with us. It teaches us how to have relationships. It teaches us how to be parents. It teaches us how to be husbands and wives. And if you're doing it after some other thing, it's spoiling you. If you're trying to be a husband after the philosophy of marriage of our day, it is spoiling you. It's robbing you of the sweetness of your marriage. He says, watch out because the traditions of men There are all sorts of things that have become traditional in our culture that aren't truth. They're just the traditions of men. And yet they've been repeated so often that they've become a part of your way of thinking about the world. And the rudiments of the world. Rudiments are building blocks. Fundamentals. The fundamental way the world thinks. Can I tell you the way ultimately the world fundamentally thinks? It is humanism. That everything begins and ends with man. And that God is unnecessary in this equation. And he says this, look, not only are there vain deceits, empty lies that are being hurled at you that you have to deal with intellectually, but there are philosophies that are on the wrong path. They're after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world. Listen, and not after Christ. Now, that's a pretty big battle. And there is a huge battle that we have been, I believe, often ignoring for decades, preacher. And it is for the minds of our people in our nation and the minds of the people in our church. And far too many of you sitting here looking at me tonight, if we got down to some nitty-gritty discussions of life, would repeat to me things that come directly from the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world, and you would be absolutely convinced that they are the way you should live your life, though they are completely different than the word of God because we are being spoiled by philosophies after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world. There's good news. That we don't have to be, we don't have to be spoiled. What I think we sometimes don't understand is all that Christ did for us. Christ did more. Please, before you start thinking heretic, just listen, okay? That'll help me a lot. Um, Christ did more than just take away our sin. He did that. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are fully forgiven forever. Never to be remembered by God again. God will never throw your sin back up in your face. I mean, that okay I guess that's you know cool hallelujah but salvation was more than about simply the removal of your sin brother Andrew said something I don't know if it was in prayer or something this morning but he said that maybe when he's talking about studying about that not only did he take away my sin but he gave me the righteousness of God that's what justification is you understand that when you're saved that not only is your sin taken away, but you've been now imputed or charged to your account, given to you is the perfect righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And now when God sees me, he doesn't just see me absent sin, he sees me full of Jesus, amen, and his holy character. And that happened when you and I were saved. But can I tell you something else that happened? In fact, it's what's in the rest of this passage, that he made us, that he made us complete, Please hear me. He made us complete in Christ. Uh, There's no longer a part of us that just, it's just not there or, or it's just not important that what it's, I mean, it's what it says right here. It says in verse 10, and we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That God did something in us when we were saved so that our mind, which was under the bondage of all of these things, please hear me, if you're here lost tonight, you might be offended by now. I hope you're not. I I hope I wouldn't offend you uh, by how I say what I say, But, uh, but if you're here lost, you might say, well, I just don't think that's right. I mean, who are you to attack science? I'm not attacking science. I'm telling you that I'm lifting up what real science is. And the problem is, is that you are, if you're lost here tonight and you don't have Christ, then maybe if you do, you haven't come out of this yet, is that you're in bondage to the philosophies of this world. And you're incomplete. You're not able to see the whole picture. Again, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to say to you, beware, because you're hurtling down a path that you can't even see how messed up it is. But Jesus... When he comes in, hallelujah, he took away my sin. I mean, well, if that's all he'd done, that would have been enough. But it's not all he did. And hallelujah, he gave me the holiness of God in Christ Jesus. But I can tell you what else he did. He made us complete, which means this, that you've been set free from the bondage of false philosophy and a mind controlled by vain deceits, you've been set free to take that corrupted mind and to renew it in Jesus Christ. So you can have a whole new steering mechanism for your life. You're complete. He spoiled principalities and powers we read. Well, why did we read that? Because they're the ones who ultimately are binding your mind. They're the ones from whom spring all of these vain deceits and rudiments of the world and traditions of men. All of that springs from spiritual uh, uh, principalities and powers. But it says that he spoiled them, that, that, that he defeated all of them, that, that we have been made new, that we have been made free, that we have been placed in Christ, and that, and that we are absolutely complete in Christ. That means something. You know what it means? It means that for us to continue the common Christian operation of sort of coasting through life intellectually and not studying the word of God with all of our intellect and not learning so that we can walk different and not becoming thinkers according to truth is really to trample under feet what Christ gave you. We need to be forever done with the days that we prove their lies true by the way we are unreasonable in our faith. We need to be able to give a reason. That means we need to take this book. Look, look the, the Bible's clear that you've now been given in Christ the ability to control what goes into your mind. No, no, it's what it says in 2 Corinthians. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You've been set free to control your mind and too many Christians have got the, I don't know, the, the, the nine-minute cycle of attention and, uh, you know, their, their mind goes into neutral. That's what happens when you watch too much TV, just so you know, is that your mind actually turns. I mean, people say it turns into mush. It probably doesn't. I mean, it doesn't drip out your ears, so I would think it's not mush. But I'll tell you what it does do is it becomes neutral. It becomes only a receiver and never a processor. And so the TV says, you want this, and you say, I want that. And the TV says, this is true, and you say, that's true. say, preacher, are you one of them guys that breaks TVs? Heaven, no, how would I see football? I mean, come on. The object is not the problem, you are, and I am. Because what I've done is I've not begun to exercise my liberty in Christ, to cast down from my mind everything that exalteth itself against Christ. And to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. But you have been set free, it says in Christ. And you now have the ability not to go like, I don't know, but to actually take thoughts captive to truth and get rid of those that are lies and have thoughts that are in obedience to Christ. Think about this. If my mind determines my path and my thoughts are in obedience to Christ, I'm going to be living a life that is far above This world, amen. And it's not only our ability or opportunity in Christ, but it is our commandment in Christ. We like to quote it. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable uh, unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, What world? The philosophies after vain deceits and and rudiments of the world and after the traditions of men be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your, come on, the renewing of your that ye may prove or demonstrate or show what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've been commanded to take control of your mind by filling it with truth renewing it and changing from what you were in your walk. You've been set free and you've been commanded to be intellectually free, to be pursuing truth and to be walking according to the knowledge of truth in obedience to God. It is your liberty and it is your duty. Your mind your mind is Christ, and it's your responsibility to fill it with him and use it after him. And to, to, to sacrifice that liberty and to ignore that duty are both things which we are tragically guilty of and that we must stop tonight. You will not get revival because you feel good in service. You will get revival when your mind changes and therefore your walk changes and tonight we have to decide about our mind we have to make commitments to God to renewing our minds on truth now I'll warn you it's going to require you more than three hours a week it's going to require that you study the bible outside of this place. Well preacher I don't know how that's what you have him for. He'll equip you. It's going to require that you that you memorize scripture and you walk according to it. It's going to require you some accountability in your life. Because you're so used to thinking after the traditions of men that you're going to have a hard time for a while as you grow out of it. And it's going to require you to say this tonight The only way I can really please God with my life is when I enthrone him in my mind. And if we don't do those things, we continue down the same lukewarm path where for the last hundred years we've been screaming revival, revival, revival. We've had all sorts of emotion come into our life. But we've had far less renewing and taking charge of our minds. And we are still a people Absent revival. And the problem is that our mind determines our path. And we have to do something about our mind with the word of God. So tonight we would start by being honest. Being honest with God about how you have stewarded your intellect. Whether according to the truth we learned We're just sort of gliding along with what everybody else is doing. And if it's the second tonight, we simply belong here at this altar. Recognizing the offense to God that what we've done with our mind is. And begging him for forgiveness. And committing with all of our intellect and will to renewing our mind. And to beginning to take everything captive obedience to Christ. It'll take major change in your life as you go down this road, but the only way we get where we say we want is when we begin right here, where everything about your life is determined. So tonight, we must start. You must start. You must deal with God about what you've done thus far with your mind. Stand with me. Altar's open for you tonight. If you really want revival, it'll start tonight. Father, help us. Help us to be done with being manipulated and controlled by the thinking and thoughts and philosophies of this world, to confess to you, Lord, where we have long, often long squandered the great opportunity and liberty you've given us intellectually, to make a commitment this night to beginning through the word of God and the power of your spirit with the help of those you've given us to help to renew our minds in such a way that the systematic thinking of each moment of each day would be renewed after Christ and not after the world. It is a radical change that must take place beginning in our mind if we want to experience real revival in our lives. And so I pray you'd help us tonight to let nothing keep us from your throne room and this altar as we confess and we commit concerning this truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The piano's playing tonight. Folks are at the altar. This is not a, thank you, Lord, that was a great thought message. This is, I need to make serious changes. I've been wrong, but I want to walk a different path as I renew my mind after Christ won't you come tonight where you need help won't you ask for help won't you bow wherever you're at in this room acknowledge to God the way that you've stewarded and used your mind ask for forgiveness and make a commitment to living a philosophy a life after press.